Welcome to the Tej Talks Podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tej Talks. Today's episode was really interesting for me because I don't often get London or Southern developers on the podcast. A lot of people going north, etc., which makes sense for high yields, low entry prices, you know, good BRR opportunities. But Akash is doing some really good things in London. Uh, we're talking sort of zone two, zone three, you know, the kind of profit levels we're talking about, you'll see in the title and in the description are pretty awesome. And he's had a nice trajectory from actually being a painter decorator for about a year to, you know, going against what his parents wanted to then starting in development in Fulham and then getting bigger and bigger every single time. And is now looking at new builds and has something that has been in planning for three years. Lord, three years, absolutely taking the piss. So this is a great podcast if you're considering, well, should I invest in London? Should I travel and go somewhere else? Have I got enough capital to do it? What do the deals look like? Because we go through some of his deals and break down the figures for you. So lots of learnings in here and also a really nice different perspective on, you know, investing in London. If you haven't already, please leave the podcast a review. If you're liking the content, it's a lovely way to say thanks. Go to iTunes, uh, go to the Facebook page. Thank you so much. Akash, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Thanks, Tej. Uh, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, we were supposed to do this in person many, many months ago, I think. We were supposed to yes. get some, some video content on one of your very, very nice sites. But uh, of course, you know, something got in the way. I wonder what that was. So, I can't remember what it was. Yes, yeah, so something happened. So <laughs> we are now doing this on Zoom, but we will at some point definitely uh, make some videos together because I want to share with people your interiors because we'll talk about that as well, but they are gorgeous and Thank you. if people are not following you on Instagram, they're going to be after this podcast because people need I to see so. this. So before we get into the kind of things you're doing now and investing in London, which is a big, big thing, you know, a lot of yeah. people go, uh, I want to make money. I want yield. I want, you know, okay, look upwards. Let's go to the north, which is fair enough. But I really want to delve into your London investing and, and why and how it works. What were you doing before property? And then what got you into property? Okay, so my my pre-property story is um, pretty simple, and it was uh, nothing or school. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I I basically um, started investing in property straight out of university or just after university. Um, so my pre-property story really um, it just it 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 stemmed from childhood. I guess um, I was quite uh, lucky or fortunate that my 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 parents had a successful business, and uh, one of the things that they used their spare money um, to do was to to renovate um, properties. So throughout my whole childhood, I was moving house essentially every couple of years. Um, because we'd, we'd buy a family home, we'd live in it, or my, my parents would renovate it, um, we'd live in it for a year or two years. Um, and then 
they'd sell it and and do the same again. Obviously, that I think they were doing that um, for for capital gains reasons, and they didn't have so much money that they could go and um, purchase a separate house to our own home. Mm. Um, so I think that's where my my first inspiration, my first passion, really came from. Like just seeing how you could take these dilapidated properties and then they become this beautiful, usable space. Um, it was happening year in, year out when I was a teenager, um, et cetera. So I think that's where, that's where, that's where the fire started from. Um, what did you study at university? So, so I studied economics, like, um, being a, being typical Indian parents, (laughs) they were like, go and be a doctor, go and be a lawyer, go and be a banker. So, um, I didn't really, I didn't really see, I think when you're a, when you're a young adult, you don't really have this idea that, um, or at least I didn't, that you can, you can do whatever you want. You can be whatever you want. Um, so so school was very driven as as to being a banker because that that seemed the way to um, earn a decent living and 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 have a, a, a credible job. Maybe nowadays, you know, ten years on, banking isn't the the highly regarded profession <laughs> it used to be. Um, so that's 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 where I started economics um, at uni, and then I I came out of uni and. I was applying for um, banking jobs, and I just, I just, I felt lacklustered in in what what we were talking about. I was going to interviews, and I just didn't have that. I just didn't have that that inspiration or the the uh, the energy that I felt like I should have um, starting a career. Um, so I kind of I I I tussled with this idea. Oh, Look, I've, I've seen this happen. I know, I know that it, it, it can be fruitful. I know that it, it's certainly something that can give someone creativity. Um, maybe I should go into property development. Mm. And so, I, so, I'm gonna yeah. say, so, so after that kind of that point when you said, right, let me go into property development, was it? scary because you hadn't had a job you hadn't been in an office with people it was kind of like oh straight out of education into something that is you know pretty difficult which is having your own business or working with family or just doing something that's not you know being employed was it did it ever cross your mind like oh my god this isn't normal i'm gonna struggle yeah it, it 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 definitely crossed my mind and even if it didn't my family were definitely there to remind me, <laughs> oh, go and get a corporate job. Like you can't just, you can't just do this. You have no idea about uh, the, the real world. <laughs> That's the classic line. You have no idea about the real world. Um, you need to go and walk it, work in corporate um, so you can learn. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I just didn't, I didn't feel like that was uh, the necessary path to give me the right, the right foundation for property development like going and working in in a large organization maybe it would help or it it probably would help but it's not i mean there are i think there are better ways i think there are certainly better ways um so i considered um an estate agency i think that's the kind of first place i thought "Hmm, maybe i should go and learn about 
that side of of the business um but again something something told me that it 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 wasn't the right it wasn't the right move um and so i actually i spent a year working um as a in the painters and decorators uh oh wow so you're an actual painter then for a year yeah yeah i mean i, I mean absolutely terrible painter uh, <laughs> <laughs> um but i thought that you know um getting an insight into into trades um from the side of the trade rather than you know the person person contracting that trader i uh, i thought that that was a helpful insight um to the foundations and the groundings of of a development business um you know as as it as it gets larger of course that becomes less important but at the beginning those those things are i felt and i still feel are, are were vital for how i was then going to move on to assessing what trades how to how to acquire them how to negotiate with them how to speak to them you know um people behind all of these businesses are, are people and i think that um if you if you get to know or know how to how to talk and and interact with those people you're always going to um you're going to get the best out of them and therefore it's going to benefit you i mean that sounds a bit uh, <laughs> a bit cold but you know well it's um, the truth especially with like tradespeople. there there's a certain way to speak to some of them and i i hate having to speak like that i just want to be blunt and say this is a shit job you're a dickhead you know fix it but <laughs> you know yeah, that's what we're yeah. all thinking right no, yeah. no one no one is not thinking that but of course it's like oh you know but, oh i hate it um even though i, I don't know I, terms, I, I, yeah I, I guess for me it's it's part of that is actually knowing how to find the right person as well so that mm. you don't end up in the situation and say oh look this is terrible and you need to you need to you need to do it again like, i mean that doesn't mean it hasn't happened unfortunately it has but i would say that it's it's less less apparent um for me um even from the beginning uh i think i was quite lucky that my my first builder is the same builder that I'm I'm still using today. Wow. That's um, and how many years have you been working together? So well where are we? Twenty twenty one. At least at least five years, I'd say. That is amazing. I think a lot of builders and property investors have an expiry date on their relationship. And I think we're a lot of us are always heading towards it. And it's amazing and quite positive. And yeah. I suppose inspiring to to show that actually it has lasted this long because that says a lot about the both of you, but we're going to talk about trades people because your refurbs yeah. are quite high end. So there's a lot I want to go into there. So yeah. once you worked as a painter decorator, how did you then, like, what was, what was the kind of transition to doing it yourself, funding it, finding it? How did it all come about back then? Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> again, um, I guess, um, in in a fortunate position that I could uh, I could go to the the bank of mum and dad with a with a lot of persuasion um, <laughs> and say look this is this is a this is a sensible idea let's let's take what was a kind of side business or 
or, or, or secondary um, venture and let me um, let me take this to a point where you know um, it's a hopefully going to be a considerable business a considerable business um, so you know we we didn't or don't have um, millions of pounds um, we had a couple of hundred grand that we could refinance from from some from a buy to let that um, my parents had and that's how I started that's it it was maybe I think about 150 170 something like that um, and that was it it wasn't like all right this is your this is your test like if this works there's another there's another million quid waiting no <laughs> um, that would have been nice uh, that would still be quite nice <laughs> um, but no um, so we just we just we started like that and i've just slowly and steadily built up <clears throat> the the capital um developing selling developing selling reinvesting um from there from that point and then let's talk about that first deal then because obviously it's quite a uh so there's a baptism by fire right kind of you got the money great that half is secured yeah. Now it's okay. We've got to get the deal. We've got to make it. We've got to refurb it correctly. We've got to, we have to do so many little things and so many moving parts to get it right. So yeah, like maybe if you can share the figures of that deal and then what it was and yeah, I suppose how it kind of worked out. Yeah. So I'm always an advocate of um, starting small. Um, I think I'm quite a, like a risk preferring person in general, I always take quite big risks, but in property and in business, I'm very risk averse. Um, and I think that comes down to the fact that there are almost always big sums of money at play, right? Even if it's not a hundred thousand pounds and it's 20,000 pounds in considered everyday life, that's, that's a big sum of money. And I think that, it's always good to start small. Um, so that that being said, the first project was, um, it was an auction purchase actually, um, an ex-local authority uh, one-bedroom flat um, in Fulham. So it was £377,000 at auction. Um and it, it just needed a refurb. That's it. There was no, um, there was no extensions. Um, there was nothing too complex and it was purposefully purchased for that reason so that I could get to grips with a small number of the facets of development, right? Because even on a small project like that, 500 square foot build cost, 14,000 pounds, there are still a lot of moving parts. Um, and of course, as it gets bigger, it only gets far more complicated. Um, so I think it's very, very important. I think that was very important um, to start at that kind of level. And what condition yeah. was the flat in? So um, being ex-local authority, it was um, a complete uh, a complete wreck. It was a complete wreck. Luckily, the you know sometimes you you can even buy wrecks that are falling down, right? But this is a concrete, this is a concrete building. 
Um, so luckily the walls were still intact, <laughs> um, but that's, that's, that's the extent of it. Wow. So you bought it for 377 at auction. Yeah. Um, were you sort of fearful of auction for your first deal? Like a lot of people are? No. So luckily, um, again, I feel like I'm going to say luckily a lot, <laughs> uh, but, um, no, fortunately my, my father at this point had some experience with auction properties. Um, we, we still to this day only, only purchase from auction if we see what we say is, is there's a reason that it's in auction, i.e. it's from a housing association, it's from a local authority that have to be seen to put it on the, the open market. Mm. Um, I think that's quite a, quite a good piece of advice if you Why want to try that? and save time. Because for me, if, if something's from my experience, and, and obviously this could be this could be wrong, and I'm sure there are there are good deals that can be purchased through auction that are not necessarily um, a housing association sale or executors or or from the local authority. Um, I just I just feel that those properties would have been put on the open market through an agent if there wasn't something to hide. Now, in probably 95% of cases, I think that is true. And for me now, it's about the the balance of time when finding deals. So maybe at the beginning, yeah, you can trounce through, you know, 120 lots and and look through each one and and assess each one, assess each one that may, may be appealing to you. But I can't, I can't do that now. I can't, I don't, if I, if I did that for every property that, that there was potential, um, I'd be spending all my time doing that. And, and, and again, I'd, I'd end up having wasted 95% of the time I'd have wasted my time because there's always some hidden thing or niggly thing that the reason that it hasn't just gone to regular, a regular estate agents, because when it gets to legals, this this issue would come up and someone would pull out. Obviously, an auction you can't you can't do that. Um, you're exchanging on the day, right? So we always we still purchase through auction on occasion, um, but only ever if it's a local authority or ex housing association. That's really interesting. I love auctions, and you know my aim and my goal, I suppose, is just to always purchase through them because, like you said, twenty eight days or less completion. The legals are done up front. Yeah. It's just like, you, know, you ain't got time for three months conveyancing, waiting for the seller to show their bloody ID, you know what I mean? Or like mm. other side solicitor to fax something or write a one word letter or... So auctions are fantastic. And that in particular there is a tip I have never heard before. And Oh, that's good. Yeah, I really like that one. There's, I, I definitely see what you mean about the other ones have been put there for a reason to hide something. Mm-hmm. And... I've bought I don't know, five or six properties at auction and yeah, not, not to say that you can't spot them on the viewing or in the legal pack, but there's always something that someone won't see and may end up getting stuck with. And obviously we don't want that to be us. So, yes, exactly. That's the hope of the vendor, right? That's well, the hope yeah, of, of course. The yeah. Just sell it, flog it, get rid of it. Someone else gets stuck with it. Oh, well, buyer beware your problem, exactly. which exactly. I mean, it is our problem. So, you bought it for 377. How much did you spend on a refurbishment? 
Okay, so I mean, I've got the figures in front of me. Three seven seven was purchased price. Uh, the total build cost was fourteen thousand pounds. Oh, so it's just it's just a refurb, right? Okay. It's not it's not very much to do. <laughs> um, new kitchen, new bathroom, uh, rewiring electrics. It's a one bedroom flat, right? Mm-hmm. So it's quite small. Um, and I think the all in cost was four oh seven. And then we put that on the market for four seven five and and achieved just slightly under that so well a couple of questions nice profit obviously uh but why why did no one else bid higher when there's quite a healthy margin aka it sounds like a pretty good deal with not much work why yeah why didn't it have more interest or yeah um just one of those things. Sometimes it happens, I uh, suppose. I, I, I think so. Yeah. Um. It, it may have been. I believe it may have been a, a, a July auction. Okay. Which is um, the July and, and December auctions are are normally notoriously uh, slightly better value uh, than the than the, than the other months mm-hmm. uh, because. People are people are away on holiday in the in the summer months and, and the same at Christmas or don't want to be transacting on properties um, over the Christmas period. So at the beginning, that was also a, a good source of um, of buying of buying at auction. Um, you know, we'd kind of look forward to look forward to the, the July and December um, auctions because we'd think, yeah, we can snap up a good deal. Having said that. Um, uh, I think the margin is okay. I don't think it's like um, particularly spectacular. Um, I guess for a for a, a, a non extension um, refurb, it's 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 good, but it, it's about twenty percent, um, which I think most people should really be aligning that that kind of margin in their expectations. Um, you know, those that are working on ten or fifteen, it's, it's, it's scary to me. It's scary because. Or if something goes wrong, uh, market you know takes a takes a bit of a dive. That's it. Um, I feel like you can't, you know, when your capital's at risk, there's no point. You can't be working on fifteen percent. You might as well go and you know put it in a put it in, in bonds and and earn, I don't know six or seven. Mm. I know what you mean, and it's a thing for new investors and developers as well. Is that it's easy to look at a deal and say, oh, you know what? It makes 10, 15 on the spreadsheet, but I, we, we can save cost here, save cost here. I, it'll actually be like 2025. 20, the chances are it'll actually be like five or eight. Yeah, yeah. It never and goes that way. It never <laughs> goes that way. You never save money. Like, yeah, I mean, you never save money, really. I think, yeah. you know, I've had it before where it was a 20% and it ended up being a 15, or it was a 15 and it ended up being a nine. And yeah. It's what it is. So when yeah. you purchased this property, did you know that the end value was like, did you analyze it fully to every single yes. detail? Yes, of course. Yes, you have to. I mean, it would be ludicrous not to, um, not to, to, to analyze the deal in full. Um, you know, I think we're very lucky now that we have so much access to information that you can sit in front of your computer and in, in five minutes you can, pretty pretty conclusively analyze a deal um certainly of this kind of nature you know like just finding out prices of one bed flats and 
um, quite easily. So I, I think it would be foolish to for anyone to to not not do that. Um, and you know, it, it for me, it's there's 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 a few basic parts of of deal analysis: mm-hmm. um, purchase price, build cost, finance cost, and and exit fees, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and of, and of course sales price um so yeah you, you've got to be doing those basic things i think and so where do you live do you live in london as well i live in london yes i've so, always lived in london um a since. lot of people who live in london or, or anywhere in let's call it the south yeah. like i said earlier tend to you know i think the main thing is probably capital driven because for example if if you know if we gave someone five million pounds and said where are you going to invest are mm. they going to get on a six-hour train to yorkshire no, they bloody ain't. They're going to no. go zone two, zone three, zone four, London, and they're going to, I mean, we're going to make it work. Yeah. So a lot of it is obviously capital driven, but I think, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but generally doing, you know, buy to lets in London and greater London, the yields are nowhere near, neither is the return on cash left in nowhere near as good as, you know, the North, anywhere else like that. So yep. what, like two questions here, what made you, you know, stay with London? And secondly, what made you sell or decide to sell properties instead of keeping and I suppose in particular keeping the one bed flat? Mm. So, well, okay. So there's many, uh, there's many things there. So the, the, the London is firstly, it's the market that I know about best, right? I think that's quite important. It, it It's easy to say, yeah, I'm going to go and learn about another market. I'm going to go on right move. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, check prices here. And, and, but having lived in London and being in the center of your market, I think is very important. You, you, everyone can know about all of the basics, but the nuances inside the market, okay, these streets or, um, this type of property or, or, or even more specific things. Those are the key points that will help anyone to thrive in the market that you're in rather than just, okay, I know the basics about that market. I'll I'll make it, I'll make a decent profit. I think if you want to, if you want to find really good deals, you need to be really in and amongst where you're, where you're developing. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, cool. What were the what were the what were the second parts of that? Uh, what question? made you want to? And I guess it's more maybe more of a general strategy question. Yeah, you know, selling and holding. And I suppose yeah. on that first deal, what made you sell it? So, um, the I know I know that there's a lot of these strategies about um, that. You know, you kind of you refinance and take your cash out. In the London market, the yields are are lower, so there's really no chance you can do that. Firstly, um, certainly not in in <clears throat> zone two or three. Um, you're always going to leave money in, and you're not going to leave ten grand or twenty grand. You're going to end up leaving like a hundred k, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to find deals where you could you could take anywhere near. Um, your total investment out. So, in the beginning, we had a we have a set amount of money. If if we were to put that in the buy to let portfolio, 
we wouldn't have any money to develop to develop simple as that right so we need to sell so we can move on to bigger things Mm. now secondary to that and this is jumping forward quite a long way now more to towards the present um i do or i i manage quite a large rental portfolio as well um and it's safe for me to say that it's an absolute nightmare especially in the last 12 months um and with regulation and 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 taxation it's getting to the point where i don't feel like it is even worthwhile they're all single buy to lets mostly i'd say names personal names single buy to lets probably about eight eight single buy to lets between one and three betters and a couple of hmos um yeah and yeah the it's amount of work is is unbelievable. It's interesting because you know you'll have people like me who are managing, I think, eleven bytes at the moment, two hundred miles mm-hmm. away, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm genuinely not doing much at all. There's been some odd maintenance because of winter and you know dodgy builders I had previously, kind of fixing stuff. But generally yeah. speaking, every you know first few days of the month, the rent comes in, and I say to myself, "What have I done this month to actually earn that?" Of course, I've, I've yeah. done all the hard work beforehand, but it's nothing. So it's interesting hearing people's experiences, you know, whether it's geography, tenants, you know, whatever type of tenants mm. that some people love. And I love the kind of rental buy to let coming in every month. And then other people love the kind of more chunky money. And of course, there's a balance, I suppose, to kind of be it's, had in the middle. And it's of it. relative. It's relative mm. as well, right? Like if you're, if you're selling, if you're selling flats and, and making 50k um and then you know you're you're earning 600 quid a month on a after mortgages on a rental you know it, it's relative and then it and then it gets it, it gets compounded even more like when you start doing mm. bigger deals and it's you know the sums of money are larger it the 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 pound the pound value that i'm I'm getting, which actually I'm not getting. I'm just managing um, on on behalf of my family. Um, the pound value that they're getting for the amount of work that I'm doing is it, it's getting to the point where it doesn't seem worthwhile. Um, yeah, we can we can come on to that because I, I have some I have some uh, keen ideas on on how I would go moving forward and how I would probably change the 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 structure of the portfolio um to, to tell benefit me now. let's talk about it now we're here okay all right fine so at the moment we've probably we've probably got about 10 10 or 12 by lets uh, dotted around london um and i guess the the thing that you mentioned that you know it's very passive for you it isn't as passive for me because a lot of those properties they're not brand new renovated flats the ones that are um, they are quite low. Um, they're low maintenance. But having said that, you know we've got we've got a guy renting a a, a twelve hundred pound a month studio, um, not paying, hasn't paid his rent for six months. You know, so it, wow. it's stre- there's stress on it. There's stress on it as well, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which you don't. I don't find that you get that in development. But what what I think now the 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 best thing um, to do would be to to just just to, to sell all of it, take that capital. It's, it, it's, you know, a couple of million quid um, and, and build one 
build to rent building. Yeah. So everything's in one place, it, you know, and the aim would be that it would, you know, you gear it so that, it, you know, build, build land and everything costs you all in 5 million quid and it, and it pays you half a million quid a year rental. That's, that's where I think mm. the future of a larger portfolio, having single buy to lets here and there and there, it's good at the start. It is. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not even speaking about, I, I don't have a buy to let portfolio. I have a couple of, I have a couple that um, I just have, and I'm just probably going to get rid of. Um, but when it gets larger, it's, it's tricky. It's tricky. Yeah. I think built to rent is a great way to do that because you are, you know, you are creating something that is geographically in one place, but also going to yes. have, hopefully low to zero maintenance because you yeah. have done the right thing in making it low maintenance. And that's yeah. obviously it's, it's not easy and it's, it's way different compared to just you know buying an old buy to let and converting it. But top of the pyramid, I think they call like development. So that's an interesting approach. I really like that. And if we kind of go back to the kind of speaking about London, you know, I suppose a question for you, quite a broad question is, you know, is it possible anywhere in London, Greater London, let's say the South, is it still possible to find, I know we're in sort of Corona, a bit of a hot market at the moment, but generally speaking, can you find below market value deals in London that can be flipped on with a nice refurb? Do they exist or are they becoming increasingly rare? I think um, when you say nice refurb, if you're looking to you know, just put a new kitchen and bathroom in, uh, liquor paint, new carpets, new wood floor. Um, I think that this, the market is is too competitive. Mm. Um, I, I think there are too many people out there that want, that are happy to take this t- 10 or 15%, you know, um, yeah. and they kind of look at it as a, the absolute value or the absolute um, amount of money that they're making. They say, well, I'm going to make, you know, a hundred grand, uh, in a, in the space of a year, that's amazing. Uh, and and yes, that is true. Technically, like you know, if if you consider that as a hundred thousand pounds salary per annum, yeah. But when you factor in that, you know, you've put a million pounds of capital at risk, it it, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Um, so I think that space is too competitive, um, and you're you're probably better off outside of London. Um, then moving on to, can you find below market value deals? Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I I wouldn't like to say the answer is no. Um, but I don't. I don't go out looking for below market value deals. I think that's quite. That's another another one of these phrases that's thrown around quite a lot, right? Mm. Um, but I just look to find projects where I know I can add more value. Mm. I can do things slightly differently. And therefore, my GDV is going to be higher than someone else's. Yeah. Um, and and therefore, I can pay market price for it. Because in London, if you're not competing with another developer, most of the time, you're competing with end users, right? Someone's going to go in and say, there's a lot of, there's seemingly a lot of people in London that have got 
one and a half million quid at the moment, right? Just say that's that's the kind of market let's say we're talking about now, right? They've got one and a half million quid. They're they're a young family, and they'll go and buy a house, and they'll and they'll spend two hundred grand renovating it, and they'll be living in a, a one point seven, no, not one point seven, a one point nine two million pound house. There's a lot of people out there that seemingly have that kind of money in London. Um, so as a developer, uh, I, I don't think they're. I don't think that below market value is is the right term for what the kind of deals you're looking for or I'm looking for. Although I'm, I'm sure there are people out there that say you know that they that they get those kind of things. To me, if 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 I can see a project's making thirty percent margin, then okay, have I bought it at below market or have I just added more value than someone else would? And that's one of the big differences between, you know, the South and the North, you know, in the North and Wales where I invest, you know, I can't buy at market value and build an extension because the cost of the extension is more than what the value I'd get from it, which is just, which is, and actually there's a lot of land which has negative value. There's, it's impossible to build on without them paying you to build on it. Now, so that's one of the big differences between London and in other parts, which I think is quite cool because you don't always have to come in and batter the price down. You can kind of be competitive, which, mm. you know, I don't know how that feels, but I'm sure it's pretty cool to kind of, you know, be at a level where maybe there's a higher chance of it being accepted. Now, speaking of adding value, what what are the key things that you do in London and that people do in London to add value? Because I know a lot of the guests on my show and myself invest in areas where, you know, it's a 15 grand reefer, rewire, new boiler, paint, decorate, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. There's not any real structural changes. So what would you say you do in London to add value? I mean, the, the short answer is is adding square footage. Um, there's, there's nothing really more complicated than that. If you can't add square footage, you're going to struggle to add serious value you know the the kind of the the frills around adding value are you know specking specking um having a high specification um having good finishes those kind of things but in the end they, they don't really pay they don't really pay what 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 you paid for them what where you're where you're making your money is is by adding square footage so, uh, you know, as you say, um, in in the north or outside of London, there, you know, there are parts of there are parcels of land where it's kind of ne- negative equity because if you build, it's going to cost you more than the value, right? Mm. I, I think that that London has that has that as well. Um, it's it's quite expensive to build in London. Um, so, you know, when you when you consider um, significantly high taxation on on purchase prices um especially for developers when you've got three percent on top of your regular stamp um i think there is a limited band um of of where you can develop um there are you know there are parts of london that are are still quite cheap and if you and if you spend 100 grand on an extension are you going to get that money back no i don't think so um so i don't think that applies uh, just to uh, just outside London, um, it, it can apply to London as well. Um, but now, um, I, I only look at, at, at deals where 
you know, I can see adding a lot of square footage or obviously knock down and, and, and rebuild. Um, and then naturally you're going to be adding a lot of square footage. It's quite simple. I, I don't see um, any other way to, 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 um, to make, make a decent margin on, on London, on London, on London deals. So essentially the, the kind of the biggest house on the street in terms of square footage will always tend to be the most expensive in London. Yeah. Yeah. People are buyers now. They're, they've again, they've got so much information and they're, they're almost like, well, we know the price per square foot of this. How many square foot is it? Multiplied by the price per square foot. There you go. That's, that's what we think is valued at. Right. And like there was a point uh, selling in Fulham where everyone just had in their head a thousand pounds a foot, a thousand pounds a foot. And and it didn't matter whether it was a kind of like, uh, you know, lived in or it was a brand new flat. It was like, well, this is Fulham. It's a thousand pounds a foot. It's 800 <laughs> square foot. All right. Well, it's worth 800 grand. And, and, you know, that can be frustrating, obviously, when you're producing brand new properties. Um, but at the same time, it helps you quite easily value, value deals as well. Right. There's no, there's no two ways about it. Okay. We're going to, we're going to have, 3,000 square foot of saleable space. There we go. What, 1,000 pounds a foot? That's 3 million quid. And the two main ways of adding square footage are into the loft and extending? Yeah, loft's easy. Side extensions, side returns, rear extensions, um, adding floors. Uh, I've just... The the (laughs) the last project um, that I'm sure we're going to talk about, um, I I added a floor internally. Um without uh without extending the height of the building okay i'm definitely gonna gonna touch on that and without going into the basement Mm, okay before we get to that deal then when it comes to extensions lofts are you doing this under permitted development are you applying for planning how does it work on a technical sense uh everything is planning everything is planning um at the moment we're in uh, residential conversions and we're transitioning now into new build. So conversions cannot, um, are not, uh, do not fall under permitted development and you have to go through the planning process, um, which now, takes a long time. I was going to say, so when you're, <laughs> so when you're thinking of extending and or doing a loft conversion, mm. you, I mean, like how long do you factor that in? And then how does it work with your holding or funding costs? Do you have a kind of, right, eight months, we're just going to sit there? Yeah, it's it's planning to me now is a very tr- tricky, it's a very tricky topic. Like I, I, in general, I, I don't, I, I'm trying to like move with, with the with the business right i don't have some fixed set idea on where it needs to be what needs to happen as time goes on as i go through deals i i'm changing or adapting the strategy so up to date i've not bought a single project that didn't carry planning risk so i was purchasing properties and purchasing properties right now that I will need to, or um, will need to get planning permission for. Now, that has its benefits. There is certainly planning uplift, 
um, gains, which which you know at surface level seem quite good. Um, but now we're getting to the point where I've got one purchase that is I, we're, we're literally coming up to three years in planning now, um, which so is just three mad. years. Three years in planning. Yeah. Are it's, you? It's, what are you doing? You building like a factory? What are you doing? <laughs> so that's a that's a knockdown um, and rebuild of eleven units in a conservation area. Wow. Um, and we want to provide affordable housing. I mean, um, that is a long. You have a lot of patience, man. Like that's that's painful. Yeah. So I mean, one 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 great thing that i've learned from that that purchase is don't don't either either don't buy with planning risk or if you're going to buy with planning risk ensure that your 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 carrying costs your your finance cost is going to be covered so luckily there's a small house sitting on that piece of land um which is rented out and it's covering covering the finance because if you're in a position where you're three years into planning and you've got two two and a half grand a month coming out each month and and no income from that from that property or land that's going to feel pretty bad i would imagine that would feel pretty bad mm. yeah that bloody hell and with this planning risk you know when you're doing you know when you're adding square footage you're doing the i guess simple stuff mm. um like what's your plan if you don't get it and how much of a risk is it aka how much have you assessed it and you know is it likely or are you, are you kind of like eh, i don't know yeah so in london i think that the, the the types of properties that currently um we're purchasing they're all um character properties right so they're they're victorian edwardian buildings which funnily enough whether you buy in 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 North London or West London or South London, they're all pretty similar or the same. So by now, I almost, I don't even need to go into some properties to know what you can achieve through the planning system. Mm. Subdividing, um, you know, in into flats, that's, that's very popular. I think that's become very popular and i think when i first did my first subdivision i don't think it was as popular as it is now it's it's definitely gained popularity of course with with london prices it's kind of a no-brainer right if you have a a one and a half million pound house and you split it into to two flats that are a million quid each your market is going to be bigger right more people have a million pounds than they have one and a half million pounds to spend on on their property Mm. so in that sense it's a no-brainer um so yeah, mostly I would say it, it's quite easy with Victorian properties, especially to know exactly what you're going to get. But having said that, I, I, I think that I, I am able to s- purchase a lot of properties because I can, I can get a bit more than what other people think they can. Interesting. And that's where the knowledge and experience comes in that, you know, you can't always buy you can't always read about you can't have it necessarily on the first property you just got to do it go through planning listen to these these jobs worth and then kind of make it happen so let's talk about that deal then where you added another floor without going up or down yeah 
So, so that's that's the most most recent um, project, uh, Ballon Park Road, probably the one that you have seen on Instagram quite a lot. I've only recently joined Instagram, so that was, I think, the only project. Um, it's gorgeous. People, go check it out. Thank you. Um, it's the only project that that was mid construction has been on Instagram. So it's it's kind of been developing my profile on there at the same time, right? Um, so. It's a it's a Victorian terrace building. I think it's it was about two thousand four hundred square foot, um, maybe a little bit less, um, over three stories. But each of these stories was a chunky, like two point eight, two point nine um, meter, maybe even more, three meters at, at ground level ceiling height. Wow. So, kind of the the bog standard. Um, conversion strategy there would have been uh, three flats, um, but we 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 went through the planning process. We we played with the floor levels, and 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 we got four flats basically. This that's the the simple um, the simple uh, short. And you know, was there any sort of feedback or negativity about doing this four flats, or did they just say, "Yeah, cool, makes sense, go for it"? Well, look, um, planners have to abide by um, by the regulations set by the GLA and set by the, the government. Um, everything adheres to adheres to space standards. Everything, um, you know, and that that's that that's the basic level, right? Like you've got to you've got to produce flats that that abide by those space standards. But do you really want to be selling? And can you be asking? A premium price for um, a, 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 a flat that just meets the London space standards? No. Mm. So the first consideration is: Does it meet the standards? Can we keep the planners happy? Yes. Then the second consideration: Okay, can we actually sell these flats in the market? Because it's all well and good keeping the planners happy, but then you know who's going to buy a, a thirty-seven square meter? studio you know um for like four hundred thousand pounds and you know when you were doing this conversion what were the if any main difficulties with this because i assume you took out all the floors so from the bottom you could see right to the roof and then you just relayed the joists and everything and created four floors yeah 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 well i think um since the first conversion we've been doing that anyway We, we got the whole building um top to bottom we just leave the four outer walls sometimes we don't even leave um the back wall um mm. and we just start from scratch that certainly helps um the finished product and the longevity of 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 the flats and how they age over time so from a from a quality point of view um i, I think that's really important like we haven't really touched on it, but um, you know, going from the first deal of, of doing a, a, a one better, like one, I was I was green, but so was my builder. Um, and you know, over time, we've both developed. I've helped him develop a, a keener sense of quality. How how are we, you know, how are we producing these buildings? How are we producing these flats? What 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 do we need to do to ensure um, that they are high quality units for the future? 
Um, that's very important. That's, you know, aside from making, making good margins for me, homes, the, the, the purchases that these people are making that, that buy um, my flats, they're, they're homes, right? They are homes. They're pe- people are going to, people are going to grow up in them. People are going to potentially, you know, have their first kids in them. Right. Um, they're going to grow old in them. So, we have to ensure that the product is perfect. You know, in the London market, people are spending hundreds of thousands, millions of pounds. Um, we have to ensure that every single facet, inside the wall, outside the wall, we don't want it just to look good on the outside and, and inside it's, it's falling apart, right? Yeah. Um, it's very important to me that um, the quality is is better than they would be able to produce themselves, of course. And that's why they're going to, they're going to be paying a premium. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. And I think like the London market, I think at that price, you know, of course they can afford to be picky. And it's one of these things where like, I mean, for example, I've been into flats in W something. So like, I think they were worth one and a half million, maybe two million each. Mm-hmm. And I said, I-, I wouldn't buy this. And you know why I said that? Because the appliances were Bosch. They were not merely yeah. on Neff. Now listen, yeah. I can be that much of a dickhead if I'm going to spend that much money, right? Yeah. I can yeah. I can say to you, well, what? You spent 200 quid on an oven when you could have spent a grand. I'm out of here. Because if, I- if I'm that buyer, I've got the money to say, sorry, that's the wrong brand, mate. Bosch are good. Don't get I love Bosch. German brands are great. But yeah, yeah, of course. they're not Neff. They're not me. They're not, you know what I mean? And... I think there's a certain, you know, if people are investing further away from London and they're coming into it, there's a certain level of, I don't know, bouginess where you kind of have to do something different. And and that's what I notice in your properties. Also, I haven't been there yet, but from the pictures, I can see that there is so much thought that's gone into the shade you're going to use, how luxurious the carpet is, how certain things are built, the kitchen, the worktop, the, I did, yeah. I saw one of your stories where it was like the black tap with this fancy sink. And then the, and just, I look at that and say, you know what? The person who's done this loves what they do. If yeah. they don't, they've hired someone who loves what they do, but no. you, you know what I mean? It's, it's <laughs> something. Yeah. I, I do. I do it all. I do it all myself. Like I, honestly, like it. I find it so fun. I it's find the best it part. So I love it. I love fun. it. Like, it is so enjoyable. Like the the, you know, I I I go to some networking events and I always get approached by like interior designers and I'm like, no, no, I'm okay. I'm alright. <laughs> honestly, don't don't take this away from me yeah. like, because it's it's the it's that, that's why I started as well because the beauty of like development is you have you have like this amazing like blank slate so you can be creative and you also have like a a business that you can mature like it's got so many facets that um it's just so exciting i find it really exciting it is and i know what you mean like that is you know when i think of when i get a new property i'm not like oh yeah that's an extra you know x amount a month or it's equity i think "Mm, what kitchen we doing what uh yeah. what bathroom tiles yeah. are you using yeah. like yeah exactly let's let's go uh, that that's it that's exactly it like you go and you you look at what inspiring architects inspiring builders house builders what are they doing what are they producing like the amount of times i get frustrated when i see new properties come to the market and it's just the same old 
oh, boring, God. basic, this, that, and the other. And and in London, you can see it's very it's very clear when you see like an amateur developer. They they just they just put the, you know they just put the carpet in, wood floor here, white kitchen. And then they're like, "Yeah, my house is worth one and a half million quid. Please buy it from me." You, you have, you're, who are you persuading to buy that house? Like, no one, no one. You haven't done anything they couldn't do themselves. So that's part of what Saha Properties is, I guess. Right? Like, we 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 really want to, you know, we we work with like with with Venetian plasterers. We work with stone people. We work with, with expensive materials. Sometimes, like it has there has to be a balance. Mm. Um, obviously, you know if we we build good relationships we can be buying those those materials at, at a far cheaper price than than your retail guy and so in the end we're passing that value on to on to our purchasers mm. and that that makes a big difference you know when you walk in and you feel or see that it's engineered wood floor and it's not just straight laminate it's chevron it's herringbone it's something different like, yeah that does bloody cost more but yeah. I think like with any of these things, like black taps, you know, gold fixtures, mm. you and mm. I and everyone listening knows how much they cost, but they look double what they cost us. And I think it's really important for anyone listening, even if you're doing like I have been, you know, 80 grand by to lets, I, I have black taps in mine. I have, you know, yeah. gold taps. I have kitchens that shit, I could have spent half that much, but yeah, it, it makes a difference. And it's kind of part of the passion and, I guess if it's a rental, someone looks at it and says, well, I'm going to look after this because it's gorgeous. And yeah. if it's a flip, they say, um, I'm in love with this. I want this house. Um, and, you know, I've been to fellow developers' houses and I know hopefully when I get to see yours, I'm going to be the same. I literally walk in and I'm like, I'm ready to buy. This is gorgeous, you know, and that's a feeling I actually feel. Even as a property investor, I know I can do the same. I know I can do the same. We can, we can. but I'm still just like, yeah, this is nice. I, I can see myself living here. Yeah, record a podcast. Yeah, you're, you're proud, isn't yeah. it? You're proud, exactly. You, you put something, you put something out there, and you and, and you have to be proud of the thing that you've created. That's important. And if you have that passion, if you have that feeling, that will be translated to the buyer in one way or another. Mm. And if you don't, or there's rent. plenty of professionals out there that you know you can hire. If you yeah, want yeah, to, true. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 of course, it will make a big difference. Um, can you share the figures of this Balam deal? Um, yeah, sure. Um, so the Balam, the Balam deal was was actually another auction um, purchase. Mm-hmm. Uh, interestingly enough, um, and we purchased that at one point one six five. We spent seven hundred thousand, approximately. Wow. Um, renovating. Um, and we're, we're going to exit um, at about 2.82 million. Um, I'm saying we're going to exit because <laughs> coronavirus has um, just lengthened the, 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 the exit process. There's been one lady that, um, that just loved the flat so much. She's been waiting since March to, to complete. Um, wow. Um, so we, so she's the last one. Um, and hopefully that's going to be within the next couple of weeks, but, um, yeah, we're looking uh, close to, uh, close to about, um, 800 K on that. And you know what, that's, that's pretty awesome. But, you know, as I suppose what people also need to see is 
you are spending 1.8 million. So there's a lot of capital here. Maybe yeah. not. I mean, you plus, can, plus another couple of hundred grand finance. Don't forget about that. I never forget about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the lenders never forget either. Yeah. Um, I think it's important for people to hear that, yes, you know, you made 800k profit, but you had to put in X amount first. And, and that goes with anything. If you put 10 million into a deal, I'd expect, yeah. you know, 10 times the profit. So it doesn't necessarily mean that people need to do bigger deals or they should be, but it just means, you know, wow, look what is available, arguably on people's doorsteps, you know, d- depending on where you live and how long, you know, in, obviously until this lady completes, I mean, how long do you think it will be from getting the keys until you're oh, fully out of it? That This is, this is another, this is another quite long one. Well, we, so we purchased back in uh, the start of 2018 mm. so that's three years um but it, you know it, it it sounds longer than it is because once we got planning we didn't start straight away like now i'm at the point where we are managing multiple projects and for me i don't see um I, you know i hear about people doing like five or six or I don't know how many at the same time. For me, it's not possible. I don't know. I don't know why, or I don't know what other people are doing that I'm not. Um, we're, we're messing up. But, I've done it before. We're we're just messing up. That's what we're doing. <laughs> we're getting it wrong, and we're fucking up. That's what I did with with five or six at the same time. Right, because for me, you know, before I thought, okay, let's say you're making a hundred k a a project, right? In in the future, I was like, right, okay, well, I'm just going to do five of these at the same time, and then I'll be making 500k, 500k, right? But no, it doesn't actually work like that. You can only do, for me, two or three um, at the same time. And so they have to get larger, right? That if you want to grow, mm. they have to get larger because you are. I'm limited to uh, the number that I want to take on at any one time and ensure, like you said, like, you know, you're messing up, ensure that the quality is up to standard so we 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 purchased in say jan 18 we we had planning by the end of 2018 but i didn't start until um mid to late 2000 or start of 2019 i think something like that Um, Mm, okay It's, it's still a time frame that i think anyone who hasn't done big projects before may not be used to but like we said the bigger the cash, the bigger the profit, the longer it takes, the more complex it is. You know, it's all proportional. That leads me to my next question, which is, so you mentioned new builds before, and I saw it on your yeah. Instagram profile as well. When you're making 800K from an existing unit, why do you want to do new builds? Yeah, that's the question. Why do you want to do new builds then? Why? Why? So so for me, it just seems like the the next step, conversions, um and subdividing it, they have a limit i mean how big how big can you really go mm. um on a conversion you know it, it has to be an existing building okay you can start thinking about converting like landmarks but that's just that's just a whole nother um kettle of fish right so for me my 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 goals my aspirations they're they're quite big like i i'm I'm only four or five years into this or five or six years. I don't know. Um, and I'm only, I'm, I'm, I'm under 30. Right. So I'm, I've still got another, at least 20, 30 years ahead of me. Um, I want to, I want to grow this um, substantially. So what's the next step? How do I, how do I go from 
three million pound GDV to a five million pound GDV, right? Um, and to me, new build is the, is the only way. Is the only way. Um, you know, you can start doing really expensive houses and really expensive flats, but I'm not really interested in that. I don't really, I don't really want to be selling to people that live in uh, Russia or, or the UAE. Um, I want to create homes for people in London, like Londoners. I think that's important to me. Um, so new build has to be the way. Like I, I briefly mentioned that um, we are trying for affordable housing um, because hmm. to me, that's, that's, that's the best thing that I could, that I could do like this, these luxury units, they're nice and they sound like, oh, wow, like making X amount of profit. But to me, the, the end goal is to be producing high number of high quality units that are affordable and young Londoners that are struggling to, to purchase their properties because prices are skyrocketing. That's that's the kind of area that I want to target, um, and new build is the only way to do that. Good. It's you know affordable development is something that I think a lot of developers try and avoid yeah. by building you know less than nine yeah. or ten units. Or they there's reasons for it as well. Honestly, there is reasons. Yeah. I'm I'm mm. gobsmacked. This is and, and now we're referring to the 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 project that's three years in planning. Um, I naively thought that. I could go to the planners and say, Hey, Mr. Planner, I want to build some affordable housing. And they would say, Oh, thank you, sir. Let's, let's get started. (laughs) 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 They are fighting me tooth and nail to build affordable housing. It's, 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 it's counterproductive. It's, it's crazy. What idiots, absolute idiots. You're doing something that most developers are not wanting or willing to do to help people of their constituency and they're fighting yeah. you. I mean, says it that, all. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that's like people here, like 11 units and they'll go, what, 11 units? Why are you doing 11? Do nine, do nine, right? That will be that will ring alarm bells mm. to some probably far more seasoned um, developers than myself. Um, but I, I genuinely thought, and I, and I am still going to um, continue with this. This is the guinea pig model. Um, and if it, it does get through, which it should very shortly, hopefully, um, it's going to be the start of 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 a, a, a push towards more affordable housing um, because it's what we need. It's what Londoners need. Um, and it, it also has its benefits for me as well. I'm, if I'm selling 10, 10 units at 300 grand, right? It's much easier than selling one unit at three million pounds or two units at one and a half million pounds, right? So there's 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 a lot to be said about it that I think developers don't consider or, or shy away from. There is a lot of red tape, but, you know, it, it, there are some things that are, they have to be worthwhile, that we have to, we have to take the, the long, hard road um, to, to, to help, to to help Londoners, I guess. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, of course, this brings us almost to the end of the podcast. Uh, I think we could probably talk forever on these topics. They're so, so interesting. Uh, If you could have dinner with three people, dead or alive, who would it be? And what would you be eating? 
Oh, I'm I'm a massive foodie, so actually for me, I was thinking I'm thinking more about the food than the people. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would be as well. Um, I I think uh, three people. Oh, that's quite difficult. Um, w- one would probably be um, would be uh, Churchill. I think I, I like uh, I quite like English history, uh, so I think I'd pick figures from English history, like Churchill, mm-hmm. Victoria, Queen Victoria. Um, great strategists, wow. right? Um, I think they'd have a lot to say uh, and a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of interesting uh, knowledge to part from. So that's two. Uh, third person. I'll let, I'll let you yeah. have two. I mean, those two could be chat for hours, yeah. I'm sure. And what would you be eating? What would I be eating? Oh, what would I feed them? I, I think I'd have to feed them like Japanese food. I think that would be... <laughs> I, think that'd be- <laughs> I don't know if Churchill would like that. He didn't really like uh, Asian people, did he? So I uh, don't know if he'd like Japanese food. Yeah. Um, Fun fact about uh, Churchill, he, so I live in a village in Hertfordshire yeah. and there's some, well, there's quite a few farms here, but there's one particular farm, really nice lady owns it, I kind of chatting to her the other day and um, Winston Churchill actually stayed at that farm for, I don't know, a period of a few days or a few weeks or something because it was owned by some posh mm. family before he became oh, wow. uh, minister, before he became, like when he was a war correspondent or something. That's so uh, cool claim to fame. Yeah. Small world, yeah. Nice little picture of him out front. So, uh, Akash, thank you so much for coming on to the Ted Talk podcast. Uh, if people want to follow you on Instagram, what is your tag? <laughs> Good question. I think it's Saha underscore properties. I will put it in the show notes as well. People, go click on it and go give Akash a follow. Do it now. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.